Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. In the past, but I really want to challenge you to see that we're living in a day-to-day that is before the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is very soon, that more mirrors the time of the book of Acts, which we went through the whole book of Acts last year. And you never see in the book of Acts that there were great changes in the government or great changes in the culture that was around the church. What you see is people being saved, being saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what revival really is, is when people are being saved. The word saved, doesn't that mean there's something we have to be saved out of? You know, we're not saved out of something that's not dangerous. We're not saved out of something if we're not drowning. And we have to realize that our society, that people today, even when we use words like society, uh, we, we lose sight of the fact that society is just people, right? Our city is just people. Our state is just people. That people today are drowning. That it was, I really appreciated the ministry last week. I know that you did also. And at the end, on, it was either Sunday morning or Tuesday evening. I can't remember which. Uh, but... Um, when, uh, when, when, when these words were spoken, I really appreciated the honesty that they were spoken with, that our young generation has been lost. There's no sense pretending like everything's going to be okay. No. Young people, a young generation, old people, the older generation, people need to be saved because they have been lost. So in the book of Acts, we see that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And I could give you a lot of scriptures on this, but I don't have time. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing or violently advancing, moving forward. The kingdom of God is in the book of Acts at every stage and at every place. And it is violent. It is forceful. The leaders of the churches and the uh, just... Uh, everyday Christians in the churches, in many cities and in many places, already in the book of Acts, and as we move through history after the book of, uh, of Acts, it's even more and more, are being put in jail, they're being imprisoned, and they're, they, they are being and they will be being killed in large numbers in Rome. And what we do not see is that there's any good changes coming in the government of Rome, because it's not happening, okay? And it takes hundreds of years before Rome... Uh, that Rome, that old Rome falls, but it's already falling in the book of Acts. And then in Jerusalem, which is more a focus of the book of Acts than Rome itself, Jerusalem isn't getting, making any big changes that are uh, positive either. It's falling. It's crumbling. It's, it's coming apart. And Jesus said that there will come a day, and it's coming very soon, and it happened 70 years after the birth of Christ, or a little bit more than 70 years, but in 70 AD. So literally within 10 years after the close of the book of Acts, Jerusalem was wiped out as a city. It was utterly destroyed, burned to the ground. And never again did the Jews have control over the city of Jerusalem until 1967. 
For 1,900 years, it was God. So revival in the book of Acts had nothing to do with a change in the uh, culture or a change in the society or a change in the government as much as it had to do. Maybe it had a little bit to do with that in some little places. But what it had to do with is people being saved. And so we need to see that today, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, that even as Sodom is burning, I use that example with uh, Abraham and Sarah in that message, even as Babylon is falling, we need to see that revival is the kingdom of God advancing, people being saved. So having said that, I want to read this uh, short prophetic word to you. Now I remind you that this came from a, an elderly lady uh, who I've known for many, many years. Her name is Lubov Stasuk. This was while we were in Russia. Uh, she is the grandmother of Nick Pavzderin, who came and visited here as a missionary. And many of you, you, you know him or would remember him when he was here in Yarrington. And uh, I won't recount the whole story of how she shared this with me, but it was a, a really good story. I told it a couple of weeks ago. But she shared this prophetic word with, with me. And so let me just read this to you, okay? It has nothing to do with America. It's about Russia uh, and about things going on in the world. But this is a Russian Christian inside of Russia, okay? So let me share it with you and just listen to it. It says, this year will not be too different from 2022. And this is what the Lord spoke to her on the 18th of December, okay, already a couple of months ago, and she had written it down in that little prayer book she had where she was praying for soldiers, if you remember me telling you about that. So she wrote this down, what the Lord spoke to her. This year will not be too different from 2022. Terrible events will continue to manifest, but the fire of the Holy Spirit will be growing stronger all across Russia. Many prophecies concerning revival in Russia will begin to come to pass. God's hand of protection will not be taken off of Russia. It shall come to pass that among the peoples inhabiting Russia, the eyes of many will be opened, and they will begin to call upon my name, and I will listen. Now is the time to sow, you know, plant, sow the word of, uh, of the Lord. And then, because you're not looking at it, I have to explain to you, uh, the next part is in uh, quotation marks. This is the word, what I'm going to read, this little part is the word of the Lord that God is saying now it's the time for us to be sowing. And so here's the word we should be sowing as Christians. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near to you. God loves you and is giving you this opportunity to repent. Simple. <laughs> and then it comes back as a word to us. Awake, be on the alert, sleep not. For it is the time that judgment begins with the house of God. Great and terrible signs are appearing throughout the entire world, in the heavens above and on the earth below. Fear not, these things must come to pass. And even against you, there will be many attacks from the darkness. But take courage, act like men. I am with you, and my mercy will remain upon you. Amen. One of the reasons I wanted to read that with you and share that with you is because I know that this is a true word from the Lord. And I know that this word is just the same thing the Lord is speaking to us in the United States today. That God is not going to take his hand of mercy off of this country. But his plan for this country may not be what you've always thought his plan for this country is supposed to be. But look to the book of Acts. What were they sent to do? 
to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is now. Now is the time for repentance. Now is the day to be saved. Now is the day of salvation. And as we go through the book of Acts, you see that in every place, before kings and before great men, before little people, they always preach the same message that you must repent today and be saved. That the time is short. That it's now or never. Repent. Get in the ark. <laughs> however you want to uh, house that. However you want to explain that to people. That you can't tell them that everything's going to be okay because everything's not going to just be okay. Things will get, as I've said many times, if we read the scripture, they will get worse, much worse, before they get better. And they will get better when Jesus is here again. In Russia today, uh, there's a war, as you know. And there are big changes that have been happening in Russia. And it's been really surprising to me when we were on this trip to see how people's hearts are opening to the word of the Lord. This very word that it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to get our house in order. It, it's been a, shocking to me to see that people's hearts are opening and they're ripe and ready for revival. And I'm talking about just not the people you talk to, but you hear it on the television, you hear it in the songs, you hear it all across the board in Russia today. And as I prayed about that, I began to realize it's not in spite of the war, it's because of the war. There's a quote from a, a, a series of lectures that C.S. Lewis gave. Uh, the series of lectures is in a book, it's called The Weight of Glory. And in, in this book, uh, one of the lectures is called Learning in Wartime. And if you did not know that, C.S. Lewis, the great author, uh, fought in, in the war, also in World War I, went, lived through World War II. And he, wrote, he spoke, and then it was written down in this lecture, Learning in Wartime, this quote. Listen to this quote. What does war do to death? It certainly does not make it more frequent. 100% of us die and the percentage cannot be increased. Does it increase our chances of painful death? I doubt it. Does it decrease our chances of dying at peace with God? I cannot believe it. If active service does not persuade a man to prepare for death, what conceivable concatenation, which means a chain of events, concatenation of circumstances would? And I can tell you that in Russia today, we see that, that people's hearts are opening to the Lord because their entire existence as a nation is under threat. And they realize we've played a lot around too long. We need to wake up and we need to get ready. Well, in the United States, we've had war after war after war. We always have war. <laughs> My entire life, we've had war. Somehow, I don't even know how, but being born in 1964, uh, I was just at the right ages to avoid any draft, <laughs> to avoid anything that I would have to do. But uh, in general, we've had my entire life has been nothing but war. But the war is never here, is it? It's always somewhere so far away. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have been in, the, in war. Some of you have military experience where you've actually been in battle, okay? 
But most Americans have no idea what that is. The war is always so far away. Most of you have heard that there's an earthquake, has been an earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. Most of you have probably heard the numbers of people that have, been, uh, that have died, the tragedy so far of over 20,000, but they predict that it will be well over 100,000 when they're able to clear all of the debris. Of course, it's a place where earthquakes always happen. I have a whole series of sermons on earthquakes that have to do with the book of Revelation. But it's a a place where earthquakes always happen. But did you know that there's at least one Turkish city right in that same location where no building was destroyed at all? Because every single building was built exactly to code, exactly according to the law. And you might say, well, that's all those Turks' fault for not building things right. But then that means you don't really understand what's happening on the ground. Really what's happening on the ground is those places where this is occurring, there are tens of thousands of Syrian refugees who have, flee, who have had to flee from the war in Syria. The war in Syria begins with this, I don't know, I'm not going to get into politics today, good idea or bad idea that happened way back when Obama was president. We have to get rid of Assad. We just have to get rid of him. And so the fighting just keeps going and going. It's still going to this day. The wars are always going. And I'm not saying that the war is a direct reason why the earthquake happened. It's not. Earthquakes happen. But because of the amount of refugees and because of the needs to house them, there's been a lot of, and and, and because, hugely because of the sanctions that were put on Syria, uh, there's not that more people die in these things like earthquakes. Well, be that as it may, the point I wanted to say is this. Over 100,000 people killed in two minutes. Some of you that have uh, been in big cities in the United States or know, have been to Russia, for example, like Patrick, you know the kind of buildings that most people uh, live in, and they're made of cement. And I've seen pictures of, uh, I've seen a lot of terrible pictures, but one that just really, uh, really what broke my heart is this, this Turkish man sitting there holding the hand of his daughter, and she's in her bed. You can see the mattress, and the entire cement slab from the ceiling is laying on top. You don't see anything except the hand. And she's dead, of course, and he's holding her hand until he can come and dig her out. But when these things happen way on the other side of the world, and we hear about them, we don't feel that in our hearts. You know what I'm saying? We don't really feel that on the inside. And I'm not saying that to put a guilt trip on anybody. It's just how it is. But when it's happening in your backyard, when it's your home you have to defend, when you know, you know, we have a lot of people that are anti-gun, right? It's a big thing. And I'm not preaching Second Amendment here today or anything like that. But I'm telling you, there's nobody that's anti-gun when their family's under attack. There's nobody that's anti-prayer or anti-God when they're in a foxhole or when they're on the front line. When it's your family under attack, you're not anti-gun anymore. You're not anti-fight anymore because you're going to fight for your family. And so there's something that happens in the time of war that Solomon says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. There's something that happens in time of war. There's something that happens in a time of tribulation in our lives. Many of you this morning, all of you in some measure or another, are going through tribulation. You're going through troubles. You've heard terrible things from doctors. 
you've uh, experienced uh, uh, some kind of uh, financial attack against your family. You're not sure how you're going to pay the bills, this, that, and the other. We're all going through tribulation in our life, but there's something good, so good that can happen in the time of tribulation if we stand in faith. In Romans chapter 5, Paul said it like this, we exult, that means we rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. I'd say it like this, that when you're going through hard times, that makes you tough. That's what it means. Tribulation produces perseverance. You learn to be tough in those times. And perseverance, that produces proven character. It changes who you are on the inside. You realize what's really important in life. And proven character, he goes on to say, produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now go with me over to Psalm chapter 81, or just Psalm 81. They're not really chapters, they're different Psalms. Psalm 81. Bear with me. Or just enjoy it, because reading the Bible is fun. <laughs> We're going to read the entire Psalm. Psalm 81, so... Get it in front of you, maybe up on the screen, whatever. There's nothing like a good old-fashioned actual paper book to read from, by the way. Psalm 81 and verse 1. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. We sang about this today, by the way. It's a song, Raise a Hallelujah. That's what it's saying. Raise a Hallelujah. <laughs> for it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. That's the title of the message. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart, to walk on their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, another song we sing, I would satisfy you. So we're going to put a special focus on verse 5. But before we do, I just want to mention a few things about this psalm. I want you to notice, because we sing a lot of songs 
uh, in church, and uh, most of them, well, I'm not even sure if that's true anymore today, but a lot of them are taken from the Psalter, from the book, uh, book of Psalms, and that's a wonderful thing. But one of the ideas of singing a song is to go back and look in the context at what that means and to read that in the scripture. So this, I'll just take the honey from the rock part. That's the very end of the, of the verse. Both here and in Deuteronomy 32, where it first talks about God giving them honey from the rock. And that's like preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. That's like preparing a table for you in uh, the wilderness. Uh, one time, I think I've told this story a few times, but I love this story. One time, Tanya and I, years ago, you know, maybe four years ago, we were driving from Las Vegas back to here, and it was one of those really super hot days, and we were past Tonopah in that extremely boring, flat, desert area, and there's no signal. I can't get anything on the radio, and I'm just pushing buttons, pushing buttons, and we've been praying about some things we're going through, and God, this is so difficult living here in this desert, you know, and you're feeling those kind of feelings. Some of you feel those feelings sometimes. Push a button, and all of a sudden I hear a guy preaching in Russian, just on, on AM, and there's no channel. An AM channel, and the guy's preaching in Russian in the middle of the desert, north of Tonopah. I'm like, that's weird. So we listened to the whole message and found out it was some message coming from Seattle, Washington, I think, and some, or Sacramento. Somehow the radio signal must have jumped over everything and gotten there, and it wasn't coming all the way from Russia. But the message was that I will prepare a, a table for you in the wilderness, in the middle of the desert. I will feed you and I will care for you. And it was such an encouragement. For God just to zap you with a message in a foreign language right in the middle of the desert and tell you those things. So he'd give us honey from the rock. But I want you to notice something that's really important in this psalm. And you'll see the same thing in Deuteronomy 32 that is referenced by this psalm. That God's victorious provision is conditioned on the people's simple faith and obedience. He's saying, this is what I want to do for you, but you won't listen to me. You're not listening to me. I want to bless you. I want to trust you. I want to provide for you. I want to give you victory over your enemies. But you're not experiencing that provision in your life because you're not listening to me. And it's not even just that God's saying, I'm going to whack you down and teach you to listen to me. It's that I cannot provide for you. As the old preachers used to say, you're not under the spout where the glory comes out. I told you I'm turning the glory on. Here comes the flood, but you're standing over there. So you're dry, not wet, but not because I'm not sending the glory, but because you're not in the right place. You're not in the place that I want you to be. Even our eternal salvation depends on our faith, right? We access salvation by faith. So honestly, I just want to make a comment here. I understand at a basic level what unconditional love is, okay? So don't anybody get offended when I say this. But the truth is, real love is not unconditional. What did you say, Pastor? I love my kids. 
So there's the unconditional love part that no matter how much they would rebel against me and what they would do in this life, I would never stop loving them. But because I love them, I put conditions on them. Because I love them, I discipline them. I want to teach them. And God does the same thing to me. And he's giving this condition here. You see, there's a difference between, you know, the, the, the father never stopped loving the prodigal son, did he? We know that because when the prodigal son came back, the father had been waiting for him and ran out there and grabbed him. But the prodigal son was excommunicated or cut off from the blessings of the father the entire time that he was in disobedience. And not even by the father's desire, but by the disobedience itself cut him off from the father. So there are conditions to walk in the blessings of the Lord. I'm not talking about you've got to obey certain rules or God's going to stop blessing you. I'm just simply talking about you've got to be in the right place where God wants you. Spirit, soul, and body. Because he doesn't bless things that cannot be blessed. No mother, well, at least not the mother in our house, is going to walk into the room of uh, one of her uh, children, perhaps her 12-year-old son, at 10 o'clock in the morning and see the bed all turned up like this from the night and stuff all stuffed under the bed or something like that and say, oh, I just bless this room. It's so beautiful. I love this room. No, she's going to come. I said, make that bed. I said, do this. I said, do that. Those are conditions because you love your children, right? And there are blessings that come on their life that they don't even understand yet. Why should I make my bed? I'm just going to sleep in it again. You'll understand one of these days. But for now, just do it because I said to do it. Right? So, there are conditions. And he puts those conditions on them here. He says, I want to bless you, but I can't bless you. Notice what it says about the song in the beginning of this. It's talking about raising a hallelujah, right? It's talking about singing, it talks about shouting. It talks about raise a song, raise a hallelujah. And it says, blow a trumpet. He says, this is the new moon. This is the feast of the Lord in Psalm 81.3. The new moon, the feast, is the feast of trumpets. We talked about this when we went through the book of Revelation. And it's talking about the kingdom of our Christ, the kingdom of our God upon this earth. So sing a song of the kingdom. Sing a song of our Christ. And don't just sing it quietly inside of your headphones and inside of your heart, but raise a shout. Raise a, a, an anthem. Raise a song to the Lord because it is the song of your victory. And he says, please listen to this. He says that this is a statute. This is an ordinance. And this is a testimony. You don't, it's not an option. It's what it means for the kingdom of God to advance. It's what it means for us really to be those book of Acts Christians, that we raise a song in our life that the world can hear. Go with me to verse 5 of Psalm 81. And if you've got one of those things that our Sunday school teachers used to call thinking caps, put it on just for a minute. In verse 5, we read this, this little phrase here. I heard a language that I did not know. In the New Bible Commentary, J. Matir 
A scholar writes that this particular phrase, I heard a language that I did not know, is exceedingly difficult to interpret from the original language. In the Hebrew, it says, and I'm saying this in English, putting it word for word here, basically it says, I was listening to a lip, to a lip that I did not know. And the lip means a language. I was listening to a lip that I did not know. Just hold on. This verb, was listening, as I'm translating it here, was listening. This verb, shema in Hebrew, is in the yiktol form. And you don't have to remember that. But the yiktol form has no exact tense. It's, 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 it's like the aorist in, in Greek, but even more so. And so in the context, this could be interpreted as an imperfect past. Don't you love having grammar language in church? But listen, as an imperfect past, just like it is here. I was listening. That's an imperfect past tense. But it also can be interpreted as an undetermined future, just as it is in Exodus 6.30. In Exodus 6.30, we read, But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. Literally, he said, Behold, I am uncircumcised of lips. I am uncircumcised of lips. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? And this again is the same exact verb in the same exact form, the yiktol, and it's interpreted or translated into English as will listen. And so it could mean I was listening, or it could mean I will listen, or many other ways of saying that around that. Okay? So get that down first, and we're going to come back to Pharaoh's uncir- or to Moses' uncircumcised lips in a minute. So there are two basic theories if you went through commentaries on how this should be interpreted. And the first theory is the one that's the most predominant. And according to this first theory, probably all of your Bibles, whatever version you have, including the New American Standard that I have, is going to follow this basic theory. And the theory is this. And, and you have to understand, the idea of the theory is that can't be about God. Because there can't be a language that God doesn't know, right? So it has to be about somebody else. The theory is this, that the writer of the psalm, says it's a psalm of Asaph, that the writer of the psalm is referring to himself when he says, I, I heard a language. And he is representing the nation and saying that we did not understand the Egyptian language when we were in Egypt. And in most commentaries, they're going to give you a reference, Genesis 42.23. I'm not opening right now, but Genesis 42.23. When the brothers of Joseph came to Joseph, and Joseph began to speak with them, it says that he spoke through an interpreter, because they did not understand the Egyptian language. And he was not ready to reveal to them that he was their brother, right? And so there's that theory. That this simply means that when, um, when uh, in, in my Bible it even has, uh, he established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. And uh, the, the inference is, and I don't know what you have in any version you have there, but if you notice in verse 5, if we break it up into A, B, and C, the B part, when he went throughout the land of Egypt, he is not capitalized. 
because they're saying that that's Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. And that's possible in the context. But, but honestly, it's not very probable because everything before that and everything after that is about God. That God established it for a testimony in Joseph when God went throughout the land of Egypt. Okay, and we'll talk about the I in just a minute. And so we have this first theory uh, that it, it, it means that the Israelites did not understand the, land, uh, the, the language of the Egyptians. But it also, some Bibles, and the New American Standard does this, translate it, translates it in a way to say that uh, we are not able to understand what God is saying to us now. Okay? So notice, if you have a New American Standard, you would notice that it says, I heard a language that I did not know, and then it has a colon after that. Two dots. Dot, dot, right? And then it has quotation marks at the beginning of verse 6, which is very clearly God speaking. I relieved his shoulder of the burden, etc. And so what it's saying, if you go with that theory, is that the Israelites couldn't figure out what God was saying to them uh, when he said the next words that come in verse 6, which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that particular theory, that particular punctuation. Remember, there's no punctuation in the original languages of the Bible. Okay? There's no spaces between words in the original languages of the Bible. And uh, so certain passages, like I said, Matir said this is exceedingly difficult to interpret. Okay? It's actually not. And I'm going to give it to you really simple by the Holy Spirit in just a minute. But I just want you to see this first. Okay? Um, so, if that's true, then there's a lot of questions that I would have. Uh, at the time of the Exodus, which this is talking about the time of the Exodus, when God took them out of Egypt, how could it be that the Israelites 400 years later still did not know the Egyptian language? It just doesn't make any sense, especially since Joseph learned the Egyptian language and Moses learned the Egyptian language. He was raised in Egypt. It's not that they did not understand the Egyptian language. Um, when Moses says that he is, of uncircumcised, he is uncircumcised of lips, that does not mean that he never learned the Egyptian language. What that means is that he, and it's clear in the context, does not consider himself to be an orator of, of such skill that he could stand before the king of Egypt and speak to him. He says, I am of uncircumcised lips. Most of you, if I said that we're putting together uh, a special council and we're going to make some decisions and then we're going to take these decisions and we're going to send you not even to uh, uh, Carson City to stand before the governor, but we're sending you to Washington, D.C. and you're going to have to testify before Cong Congress on behalf of all the people of Nevada. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room, myself included, would say, I think you're picking the wrong person. I'm not ready to stand in front of the Congress. Let's pick somebody that's a really great order. And that's what Moses was saying. I am uncircumcised of lips. And then there's this other question that has to do with the uh, semantics of the, the context, the meaning of the context. If you look in Psalm 81 as we've read through it, you'll see that the, the, the pronoun I is used a lot, right? The first person is speaking a lot. It's in verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 10, verse 12, verse 14, and verse 16. And every single place, it's God speaking. 
Every single place is God speaking. So wouldn't it make much more sense if at the end of verse 5, and remember there's no verse breaks in the original language either, that this is God speaking. I heard a language that I did not know. And then the second theory on interpreting this is that God is referring to not understanding the groanings of his own people. So by the second theory, yes, this is God speaking, but he's not talking about the Egyptian language. He's saying that I, he didn't understand the groanings of his people because they weren't speaking clearly. But that's a little bit nonsense also. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And because in the book of Exodus, when God heard, it says God heard their groanings and he answered their groanings and he sent salvation to them. Okay? So that doesn't really hold water either. So we come to this understanding when we read this by the Holy Spirit and just read it as it's plainly spoken that God is clearly stating here as the introductory line of a hymn of deliverance for his people that he no longer understands what the lips of the Egyptians were speaking. Let's look at the hymn again. If you move the quotation marks to the end of verse 5, it would read, the whole hymn would go like this, God speaking, God singing this. This is what God is singing. From the first person, God is saying, I was hearing a language that I did not understand. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. And then it goes on from there. And so that's what God is saying. And I want to challenge you this morning with this understanding that in saying that, God is saying a lot. I believe by the Holy Spirit that the Lord is speaking today in our nation, in the United States of America, that I am hearing a language that I do not even understand. I am hearing a language that I do not know. Psalm 31.19 says, Let the lying lips be mute. God does not hear lies. God does not understand lies. God is not going to sit around and try to figure out double meanings. He knows the truth of our hearts. And today, he's hearing a language that he does not know. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. We live in a nation today. Our government speaks lies. I talked to you about this a couple of weeks ago. It's how it is. Every one of those quotes last week that Massey was sharing with us, I kept hearing, remember that quote from John Adams where he said that I will repent in heaven that we ever even had this, this uh, we ever even established this nation? And I can't remember the exact quote, but if there comes a generation that doesn't uh, uh, walk in these freedoms, or however he said that, right? But when I was reading that, I would say, that generation has come. 
John Adams is up in heaven repenting that he ever even did it in the first place. Or as we like to say, they're turning over in their graves to hear the lies that are being spoken today. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to stop being in shock by the things that I'm put in shock by in our culture today. The things that I have to hear, the things that I have to see. Am I going to watch the Super Bowl today? I'm going to try, because I love my Chiefs. Sorry, if you don't, Chiefs are going to win. But uh, I'm going to be honest with you. There could be some commercials that are going to just make me want to puke on the side there of my easy chair and get up and just turn it off. Because I just, I can't stand it anymore. Took my kids to the dentist the other day in the morning. It's my turn. I took them to the dentist. So I sit there and watch TV at the dentist. And it's on that channel where they show old TV shows. What's that, that channel called? I can't remember of it. TV something. No, TV. Come on, come on. TV Land, that's it. So it's on TV Land. Family Channel, you know, Andy Griffith, all that stuff. And they're showing MASH. MASH, I love MASH. And I'm watching math. Ha ha, MASH, ha ha. And then here comes the commercials. And the commercial comes on. And here's Frank sitting next to me. Sasha's just gone in there to get her dentist. And it's a commercial for some, apparently there's a family TV show now where uh, it's sort of like one of those uh, America's Got Talent shows. But uh, I, I guess it's for transvestites or something. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, anyway, that's all over the commercial. Right there at 9.30 in the morning for your kitties to watch on TV land. And then I sat there. I said, oh, that's why in those states they're passing those laws. <laughs> because I hear something in the news and I think, oh, surely we haven't fallen that far, have we? And then I realize that the dentist, no, that's where we are. Is that a language God's going to understand? He'll never understand it. He said he went throughout Egypt and he heard a language that he did not know. Do you realize that in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, and you can read the whole context to read this, this and understand this, but in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. A king is a government. Joseph is an Old Testament, perfect Old Testament type and shadow of Jesus Christ. A new government arose over the United States of America that did not remember the word of the Lord, that did not remember Jesus anymore. Isn't that where we are? A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So, I've got news for the kings of this world, you can read it in Psalm 2, how God sits in the heavens and He laughs because they want to cast off His control over their, their governments and over the, the world that we live in. But God doesn't lose control, does He? When the king no longer knows Joseph, then the Lord no, no longer even understands the language of the people. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I got to hurry. Romans chapter 8, verse 21. Everybody knows these, knows these verses, but I feel my heart we need to read them. Listen, verse 21. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not Romans chapter 8, verse 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. This is New Testament, right? And it says, 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And you say, oh, well, that's not us today. That's some ancient pagan religions. Really? Have you taken a biology class over the last 50 years? Do you know what Darwinism is? I mean, it's exactly where we are today. But that's just the beginning. That already happened over 100 years ago. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Now listen to this. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. A lie. And we are being lied to. Day in and day out. Just this last week, probably there's two people in here probably that I think might have heard of this. Okay? But it's huge news. A very influential and famous journalist by the name of Seymour Hersh had to publish on Substack because he couldn't get it on New York Times or all the platforms he used to be on before he got canceled. An entire investigative uh, uh, piece on proving, and, and I'm telling you, if you read it, you know it's at least close to the truth because the sources and the details, there's no way anybody would have those details and because of the weight of this particular journalist. Proving that the United States, well, not, let's just say this, Joe Biden himself, President Biden himself, together with his neocon, neoliberal con, whatever you want to call them, folks, planned the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline in the Baltic Sea. Some of you are saying, what's the Nord Stream Pipeline? People, get with it. And then lied about it, lied about it, lied about it, and is still lying about it today. In other words, executed an act of war against Germany so they could blame it on Russia without congressional approval, without anybody knowing it. Okay? But that's it. I mean, that's just one thing. There's a million of these things, and nobody cares anymore. And you're not going to hear about them on CNN. You'll barely hear about it on Fox. And maybe if you watch Tucker Carlson. And everybody will say, that's okay, because Tucker Carlson wears a tin hat and he's crazy. So we'll just let him talk about whatever he wants to talk about. But you're not going to hear about this in mainstream media. Ever. Anywhere. And so we keep pushing ourselves and pushing ourselves into World War III. And we just keep pretending like we're not doing it, because it's so far away from us. But I want you to know, historically, that's exactly what happened with the Rome that Paul is talking about here. Historically, that is the end of an empire. Oh, well, the United States, that's a democracy. It's not an empire. Really? You need to understand biblical prophecy. We live still in the Roman Empire, okay, according to the Scripture. And after World War II, the center of that Roman Empire moved to Washington, D.C. And it is there today. And the United States is the leader of 
the Western Roman Empire today. That's just fact from biblical, from scripture, that we don't call it Roman Empire anymore. But that's what it is. And so he says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And, and in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Is that not where we are today? And that's the end, the last stage of destruction. That's not the eve of destruction as Barry Maguire sang back in the 60s. Who's Barry Maguire? Man, Pastor, you're old. <laughs> He's saying bullfrogs and butterflies also. But that's not the eve of destruction. We've already gone over the cliff. Just a couple of months ago, the President of the United States signed into law Something that Republicans and Democrats, you heard Massey talking about this, doesn't matter which party, agreed on. We want a law that says a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman or whatever else they call themselves because there's not just two genders anyway, right? I mean, I'm talking about how the world talks. And that just, do you remember that if somebody would have said there are not just two genders, even 10 years ago, you would have thought they're just nuts. That's crazy. But today, you can get kicked out of a college for saying that. You can get fired for saying that. But it's still true. There's still only two genders. So, it's where we are today. It's what's happened. But notice what verse 26 says. It didn't happen because... We did it to ourselves at the end. It says, God gave us over to these degrading passions because we refused to listen to him. Finally, God said, have it your way. We're going to let it run its course. When God takes his hands off and allows things to run its course, it brings us to a place like it did in Jerusalem in 70 A.D., of utter destruction. Well, I also love to talk about how this is a Christian nation founded on Christian principles. And if that's true, and I believe it's true, but if that's true, will we not be judged even the more so? Because Israel gets judged more than the other nations because they're founded on the Word of God. Isn't that right? And so, it says in verse 28, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. That's where we are today. Our government today, our schools today, our society today does not see fit, see it fit to acknowledge that God even exists any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, and they're disobedient to their parents. Wow, how'd that get in the list? <laughs> because that lays at the heart of it all. 
we've been disobedient to God, and it's evidenced in the rebellion and disobedience to parents today. I mean, it's been going on for years, but it's everywhere today. We're all living in this disobedient, lying society. And Hosea 8, verse 7 says, They sow the wind, and they will reap the whirlwind. So, Paul's talking about the Rome that was back then. This is the epistle to the Romans. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 9, I'm almost done. Hold on. Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. We read this, these scriptures. Those of you that went through the book of Revelation, we went through this together, remember me talking about this. It says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes... He will remain for a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven and he goes to destruction. Now if you remember when we taught on this in the book of Revelation, this is actually super simple. He's saying that there is this beast. It's Babylon. It's this beast. But it has different heads. Okay? And, five, and each one of these heads is a mountain. And these mountains are kingdoms. And he says that Five of them have fallen, okay? They've already gone uh, by the wayside. And one of them is. That's the Rome that Paul is writing to. The one that is. But that's only the sixth, sixth head. And he says, one is going to come. That's the seventh head. Listen to me. <laughs> that's the one we live in today. And he said, it's going to last for a while. It's already lasted for about 1,500 years, a little bit less. The new Rome, Holy Roman Empire, whatever, I mean, go through your history books, it's all the same. It's already lasted for a really long time. And there's a woman who sits on the back of this beast, and she's called a whore, the whore of Babylon. And she rides on the beast. You can read all her details in Revelation 18, and you might find something common with the United States today. But we read that she's had a ride that's been going on for years and years and years. It switches countries, switches names, but it's the same beast, the same uncleanness. But in Revelation 18, we read about her fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. Anybody watch the Grammys? I didn't, but I watched all the people commenting on it and wished I hadn't even. Who's going to deny that our nation has become a dwelling place of demons? A prison for unclean spirits. A prison for unclean and hateful birds. Things that God hates. I heard a language that I did not even Understand, God said, because there arose a king who no longer remembered Joseph. So Western society is this seventh mountain. It is this seventh king. And Western society, don't get your feelings hurt, but it has irretrievably falling today. Something new is coming. It's not going to be better. It's going to be worse. 
We're already on the edge of it. And it's the eighth kingdom, which is the beast himself, or the Antichrist kingdom. And we're drawing very, very near to that. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't want to go into all that. What I want you to know this morning is quit holding on to something that never could have brought salvation to you anyway. Revival is not coming because we're going to get the right president in Washington. Revival is not going to come when we get the right congressman. Revival is not going to come when the Supreme Court overturns something else. Because they'll just make a law that overturns what the Supreme Court overturns. Revival will never come by those means and by those ways. And you need to know and you need to understand what you heard last week. That there is a generation today that is lost. We have a culture that is lost. That you can't even call a culture anymore. If you saw that thing from the Grammys, how can you call that culture? That's not even music. That's not culture. That's a language that God does not understand. And don't call me some old fuddy-duddy. I had a stack of Led Zeppelin albums back in my day. I love good music. I'm just telling you that there's no music left anymore. Except the music that God is calling us to sing. To raise up a hallelujah. To raise up an anthem to the Lord. To cleanse His temple and fill our lives and our homes with praises unto God. Because praises are not about feeling good. I mean, we've turned praise and worship into aerobic, to Jane Fonda aerobics videos or something. It's like, I'm putting on a little praise and worship, praise and worship, praise. I'm feeling good today. When I feel depressed, I just put on praise and worship. And yeah, that works. I get it. But praise in the Bible is a military attack against the enemy. It is a going forth. It is an advancement of the kingdom of God that we sing forth the word of the Lord. Exodus 32, chapter, uh, verse 15. Sorry, I'm going a little bit long. Just hang on. If you've got to get home to your Super Bowl roast, just leave, but you're going to miss your rose or take it on the way out. Exodus 32. You don't let me preach enough around here, so. <laughs> Exodus 32, verse 15. I am almost done, though, but I need you to read this. Exodus 32, verse 15. So Moses is up on the mountain, right? The people have made the golden calf down below. It says, Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain in verse 15 with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets, that's the Ten Commandments, which are written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua, Joshua is with Moses up on top of the mountain. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted. He said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. 
He took the calf which they made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. That's what Moses did with their satanic ritual because he hated it. He despised it. It caused him to burn with jealousy for God on the inside. And I'm not saying, or neither is God saying in here that everything Moses did was exactly perfect. Not sure he had to smash the tablets, but he got new ones in place of them. But he lost it when he saw what was happening. So as they're coming down the mountain, they hear a sound. And Joshua can't understand the sound. He says, there's a war. There's something happening in the camp. That's the sound of battle I hear. And Moses says, Joshua, you're mistaken. That's not the sound of battle. Because in battle, there can only be two songs. One of the songs is a song of victory, and that ain't a song of victory. The other song is a song of defeat. That's also not a song of defeat. That's something mixed up and adulterated and, and difficult to understand. It's all gobbledygook. I can't understand what they're singing. But they are singing. So let's go down there and find out what it is. I just see Moses coming out from around some bush somewhere, and he's like, when he realizes what it really is, that it's not the song of victory, it's not the cry of defeat, that it's a mixture of holy and profane. And he hates it. It's idolatrous chaos. Well, you also probably heard this week about the good old Anglican church, where there's been a really powerful Holy Spirit charismatic revival if you went back even 10 years ago. And today, <clears throat> all in the news, that uh, they're going to come up with uh, gender-neutral gender prayers to God so we don't call him Father anymore because that will be more welcoming to people in England. And they won't be... Well, don't, don't, don't get upset. They're not going to make the priest do it or the parish do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. But if you want to go gender-neutral, you can, and they'll be prepared for you. So, you know, be like not our mother, which is in heaven, or father be something. I don't know. They're trying to figure out how to say it. So what God are they praying to then? Because that's not the God of the Bible. Even in the very beginning of Scripture, the Hebrew is masculine when it's talking about God. Sorry. What's so bad about that God created Adam and made Eve out of her? That God is our Father that he gives birth to us, that the seed is in us from him. Well, that's happening. And then they also, in the Anglican church, decided we're going to let priests bless uh, one-sex marriages. It's still against the law of the church, and it's a sin, but we'll let you bless them if you want to. It's a mixture of the holy and the profane. It's worse than just the profane. It would be better if we were just devil worshipers, there'd be some honesty to that and some salvation for that. But when we mix, like they were mixing with the golden calf, the holy and the profane, then God sees it as utter chaos. In Proverbs 1, it says it like this. Proverbs chapter 1, it says in verse 24, when, uh, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. That's chapter 3. Chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Because I called you, I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one was paying attention. You neglected all my counsel. You did not want my reproof. 
I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, a tornado. When distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because I don't even understand the language that they're speaking anymore. God said, I was hearing a language that I knew not. Last week we heard about Jehoshaphat. Remember? He's talking about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat uh, sent the praisers, the worshipers, out before the army in 2 Chronicles uh, 20. And he said to the people, put your trust in Yahweh, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and you will succeed. And uh, I know Massey was just kind of, you know, doing one of those preaching things. (laughs) But the truth is, honestly, when they sent out those worshipers before the soldiers, that's not something that the soldiers would have thought was weird, okay, or strange to do. If you've watched any you know, military videos or anything like that, you know, back in the olden days, they always send when the, when the army is advancing and has a victorious attitude and is victorious, the worshipers or the musicians are always going out in the front because they're the most courageous ones. The only instrument they have is not a sword, but a harp or something, right? And they go out in courage and it strikes fear into the heart of the enemy. So he sent the worshipers out first. Psalm 22.3 says, You are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Do you know that God makes His throne on our praise when we worship Him in spirit and in truth? When we raise a hallelujah to Him when we bring forth our instruments of praise, do you know the power of a musical instrument? Many of you, me not being one of them, although I can't play a few little tunes on a harmonica, (laughs) but many of you have been given a talent and a gift from the Lord. Develop the talent. Use it for the Lord. There is a power that is in musical instruments. Psalm 81 is meant to be played upon a certain hearth. If you look at it, it's called the gither. It's at the very beginning of the psalm. That instrument actually came from the Philistines, from Gath. David learned it from the Philistines. There's not some unholy instrument. Oh, drums are not of God. Those are the devil. That's not true. These instruments God has given to us. And we can raise songs on these. We can raise our voices to sing to the Lord. He's given us a song of victory. That's a lip that God understands. He's enthroned upon our praises. But, (laughs) I want to give you a challenge this morning. Go home and go through your playlist if you've got one. And really listen to what you're listening to. Let's say if you're 16 or older, go through your playlist. Okay? If you're under 16... Parents, no matter how much they scream about it, go through their playlist with no judgment, no condemnation, okay? And listen to what's actually being listened to by the young generation today, okay? If you don't know, they don't got a playlist, just, you'll ruin your day, but Google it and Push the button a couple of times and listen to a couple of popular songs. 
I'm telling you, you're going to ruin your day. Okay? Or you can just close your eyes and pretend like it's not happening. You can go out on the internet today and find article after article written, not by Christians, but by psychologists, talking about the destruction that modern music is having on the minds of our young people. Because it's so explicit. It's pornographic is what it is. And I have a, you know, Pastor Kevin McMullen that came here a while back. He was preaching not, not that long ago in his sermon. He was talking about smoking pot. We'll get to that someday maybe. And uh, he, he said uh, this, this phrase, and uh, I can't remember how he said it, but, but this marijuana is not your daddy's marijuana. Okay? I want to tell you, this explicit, this ain't your daddy's explicit. Okay? This isn't, I can't get no satisfaction where you've got to guess what they're talking about. Okay? I'm talking about you will vomit before you get to the end of the song if you're not used to it, explicit. I'm talking about pure pornography, impure pornography. And that's 75, up to 75% of the top 100 songs are explicit today. You think it doesn't have an effect on you? When I moved back to the United States over six years ago, I had left a country where people did not use the kind of foul language that they use today publicly. In songs, on the internet, and radio, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, you heard all those words, of course, but they weren't public. You sure didn't let your parents hear that. And it shocked me, and it hurt me to hear it over and over again. But I've noticed, it's sad, that I'm getting callous to it. It's just everywhere. And I fear, God, Please, don't let me start talking like that. I don't want to be an idiot. I went to school. I want to be able to speak intelligently. But it's what's happened in our country. And so if it has an effect on a 58-year-old man who really doesn't want to talk like that, I'm telling you, it's affecting our children today. If I compare that to what's happening in Russia today, Sorry, but that would be the best comparison so you can see it. I'm telling you the truth. There is a revival, actually, of morality, patriotism, courage, manliness, trust in God. It's not everywhere, but it's enough that you notice it that's happening in music today. Songs are being written that are filled with courage, manliness, uh, patriotism, these kinds of things. And it's because they're going through war. But our Western music, honestly, it's just a death rattle of our culture. It's a language that God no longer even understands. We need to hear this today, not because we want to talk bad about our country, but because we've got to find a way to get out of Babylon. And I am praying, it is my every single day prayer, that there will be an unbelievable exodus of God's people and that this will be an incontrovertible truth by the end of this year. And I'm actually asking God, you spoke that to me, I want to see it by the end of this year. I want to see the young people in our church, the young people in my family, I want to see the young people of this generation experience a salvation and a victory this year that they come out 
of Babylon because we've surrendered them to Babylon. We've just said, I mean, he preached good about it. You heard Massey talking about it in his own personal life. He said, here, take this smartphone, go do whatever you want. And we've just killed them. We've destroyed a generation. But it's not too late. It just means they're ripe and ready to be saved. It's time for salvation. The rest of this message is in two minutes. In Psalm 81, it's the good part, though. Just go back and meditate on Psalm 81. What do we need to do? The first thing is we need to hear God, listen to His Spirit. Let Him convict our hearts. Discipline us. Teach us in His love. Not get all condemned about it, but realize that this is what's happening. And we need to be saved out of this world. We don't need to save the world system because it's beyond saving. We need to be saved out of the world system. Listen to God's Word. Listen to His Holy Spirit. Be in the Word of God every day. Be in prayer. Number two, destroy your idols. Destroy your idols. You, you can't make peace with idols. You've got to destroy them. It's all throughout the Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if your right eye offends you, then pluck it out and throw it away. Now, he's not speaking literal. Don't do that. But pluck it out and throw it away. Remember that movie we saw not that long ago? I don't know. It was on Family Movie Night or something. I can't remember what the name of the movie was. But the guy took his computer and threw it in the trash can. Anybody remember that movie? Nobody? <laughs> I remember. It's that famous actor that was in that movie. Whatever the case. But, I mean, he had to get radical because he had to break free from the addiction to pornography that was destroying his family. What, but he doesn't say <coughs> that somebody else needs to do this for you. He says, you do it. Pluck your eye out. Fireproof. Huh? Fireproof. That's it. He says, if your right arm offends you, chop it off. He said, you'd be better to go into eternal life without a body part than to go to hell with all your body parts. The point of what Jesus is saying is you have to do something radical. Destroy your idols. Get rid of them. If there are songs you are listening to that are just so impure and you know this in your heart by the Holy Spirit, just stop listening to them. But everybody's listening to it. You stop listening to it. It doesn't matter what everybody's listening to. And this is for adults, it's for kids, it's for everyone. Somebody today is just say, has already said, I ain't going to watch the Super Bowl. I'm so sick of all this. There you go. Because when they stopped bowing their knee, or they started bowing their knee during the national anthem, I was done with NFL. Something's tempting me by those Chiefs being in there. But anyway, I might just not watch it. I might just go out and do something outside. Spend time with my family. Who knows? But I'm not talking about getting a guilt feeling about these things. I'm just talking about when the Holy Spirit shows you something, just get rid of it. Don't feel guilty about it. You'd be happy to be rid of it. You're tired of carrying that old ball and chain around. The third thing God says is open your mouth wide and receive the revelation he wants to give you. And the fourth thing is just walk in his ways. Just do it. 
I'm going to end with this verse, Micah 6, 8. My dad's favorite verse. True story. My dad's favorite lifetime verse. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So, I've gone a long time today, I know, and uh, hopefully the next message won't go on that long. I just don't know where to break some of these things up. I need to bring them all out to you by the Holy Spirit. I know what the Lord's put on my heart and the direction we need to go in. Next time I minister, if the Holy Spirit allows me, I want to share another prophetic word with you that came from Kenneth Hagin back in the 50s. And I've really got something to tell you about that and about America's last call to repentance. I want to talk about what's coming next. I want to talk about what this war that's going on right now signifies spiritually for the United States of America today. And we'll do that next week if the Lord allows. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.